0: good morning welcome it's good to see each and every one of you here on this beautiful Mother's Day I want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you who are mothers and how about the rest of us let give them a round of applause what do you think the men are carrying the choir today we'll see how they do without the mothers up here a couple of, of announcements uh, Today is also traditionally Epworth Children's Home offering. You should see a pink envelope in your bulletin. If you'd like to give uh, to the Children's Home in Columbia that our church sponsors, that's the way to do that. Um, reminder that Relay for Life is coming up this Friday. This Friday so this is the last announcement really to remind you about it. So that's this Friday, 5:15. Next Sunday, confirmation service will occur at 11 a.m. here in the sanctuary. And I'm looking forward to confirming these young folks, which I got some great reports from them from the retreat last weekend. And we're happy and glad for this milestone in their life, in the life of the church. We also have an announcement from Mr. Pinkerman, our choir director, and he'll do that. Then we can begin our worship together.
1: Good morning. I want to call your attention to the announcement we're in the bulletin this morning about Summer Choir. Uh, we're going to two rehearsals in June, July, and August, two rehearsals each of those months, and we'll be rehearsing for an hour and 30 minutes each of those times. Those dates are in your bulletin. Uh, I'd also make a plea uh, if you know. Anyone or if someone is singing really well next to you, uh, please have them, uh, uh, you know, see me or, or come to choir on Wednesday evening. We'd love to have especially more tenors. We're really short on tenors and uh, I need your help in that. On the church that I served in Georgia, I used to, on the second hymn, I used to go down the aisle and sing with the congregation. And some people accuse me of trolling for singers. (laughs) So I may have to do that, but please don't let me have to do that. Help me out. Thank you very
2: much.
0: together. Give us, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit be seated, let our children come forth for children's time.
3: Good morning. Are you having a good day so far? Yeah? Happy day? Um, I'm going to share with you um, a children's sermon about loving one another. How many of you like cookies? Yeah? Do you, do you usually smile when you get to get a cookie, a treat? Maybe? I like to see smiles when uh, when people get cookies as a treat. Children get cookies as a treat. I'm going to share a story with you about a lady named Lottie Moon And she liked cookies, too. Okay. Um, The cookie, I did bring some cookies to you that are from her recipe. And the recipe that she shared um, with lots of little children. Okay. Um, Lottie grew up with six brothers and sisters. That's quite a few, isn't it? Um, And one of her sisters was a missionary in China. And she got to read a lot of letters that her sister wrote. And... um, And she received back from other people in China. And Lottie fell in love with the Chinese people through those letters. And she went to college and studied to become a teacher. And she wanted to go help her sister with the children in China. When she arrived in China, she started a school. And she began to hold classes to teach boys and girls to read the Bible. At first, the Chinese children were afraid of her. She tried to think of a way to get the children to trust her, and she decided to bake some cookies. But it didn't work at first, because the children were afraid that the cookies might have poison in them, because they still didn't trust her. And one one day, one of the boys was so hungry, he decided to try one of the cookies, and he didn't get sick. When he didn't get sick, the other children decided to try them, too. And soon, she became known as the cookie lady. And after the children ate the cookies, they would talk with Lottie and hear Bible stories and learn to read. Why do you think Lottie loved the Chinese children so much? You have a, a thought? Well, maybe it was because she believed and put into practice what Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. How much did Jesus love us? A lot. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Lottie loved the children in China so much that she dedicated her life to teaching them how to read and write. And even more important, she taught them about Jesus and his love. Jesus loves you too, and he wants you to love others as he loved you. How can you show the love of Jesus to other people? Love them? Okay. Okay. Okay, maybe you could bake some cookies for someone, someone that's sad or lonely. Maybe you can make a friend um, with a new student at school who doesn't know anyone. You could go visit and pray for someone who's sick. There's lots of ways to show you love someone, right? God wants us all to be missionaries like Lottie Moon, but you don't have to go to China to be a missionary. You can be a missionary right where you live. In fact, I think that's what God wants us to do. Can we say a prayer together? Dear Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Amen. Now everyone
0: wants cookies. (laughs) So our first gospel, our first uh, scripture lesson is from the gospel according to John. In John, Jesus agrees that the Old Testament leads to eternal life. While uh, going on to reveal that this life is in him. Those who refuse to find Christ in in the scriptures are on a futile search because it lacks the enlightenment of the Spirit. This lesson is on page 1655 in your pew Bibles. It's John chapter five, verses 39 through 40. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refused to come to me to have life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. bow our heads for prayer. <clears throat> oh God, in your mercy, hear the prayers of these thy people. Oh God, we come to you this day singing our songs of praises. Uh, we know that you have done marvelous things in our life. And we do make a joyful noise as we come bearing our petitions, our thanksgiving, and our confessions. You have called us friends. You call us your children. And in the calling to be new creatures, we've been called to show our love for you by loving one another. You chose us and commissioned us to bear fruit. But we must confess this day that we take your friendship for granted. And we become lazy about our responsibilities to others. And failing to live up to our calling, we've broken away from you and we missed a joy, which is your gift. We pray this day that you'd forgive our sin and make us yours once more. And may your word be made alive in our life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And grant that we who are part of the redeemed that that Spirit may cause us to be living examples of Your love. We know it is Your will that Your joy live in us and that our joy may be full. But we're reminded to stay that there are many whom we have printed on our prayer list, whom we name in our hearts now, and others known only to You, who are suffering and burdened by physical distress, emotional turmoil, or spiritual trouble. Some simply feel overwhelmed by the world. We pray, O Lord, that in your mercy you would give them strength to be born anew in you. We pray these prayers, O Lord, And we pray and ask that You'd help us to accept Your good and perfect will, whatever that might be, with each of these that we love and with all things we pray for. We know that You have promised to hear us, that You hear us even before we ask. We pray this day that You'd fulfill the desires of our hearts. For we ask them in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord Amen. (coughs) We United Methodists believe that giving is part of worship, so let us continue our worship with our giving. Let our ushers come forward to receive our tithes and our offerings. seated. Well, if it wasn't Mother's Day, I would think that you all showed up for this last sermon on the Ten Commandments.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Give attention to the reading of God's holy word, Exodus chapter 20. Verse 14, "You shall not commit adultery." Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these tender commandments that you've given us, your precepts and teachings, your examples to help us to to live better as individuals and to form a more just society. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, kids say the darndest things, right? And some kids were asked, what does thou shall not commit adultery mean? And one kid said, it means when you're driving down the road, daddy is not supposed to look at the pretty women in the other cars. That's not a bad answer. Uh, our sexuality is one of the most delightful gifts God has ever given to us. But unfortunately, uh, misuse of God's gifts often create problems. And so when Moses came down from the mountain, this rule was very specific. And furthermore, in Leviticus, it carried this penalty death. Now, we know historically that this penalty was not regularly enforced, and that's a good thing because if it had, there'd be probably a lot of dead bodies thrown through the last 2,000 years around the world. I remember a cartoon once where a young fellow said to his grandfather, Granddad, how did your generation, how were, how were y'all able not to have any social diseases? What did you do to have safe sex? And grandfather replied, we used a wedding ring. <laughs> the bottom line is you are responsible for your actions. And sex outside of marriage is best left outside. In other words, don't do it. But the thing is, we live in a fallen world. And many have already felt the pain of adultery and the pain of divorce. And it seems to me like we must also discuss that. Because once the marriage vow is broken, no prohibition on adultery or divorce is likely to be an adequate answer. In John, in in Matthew, chapter 5 and 19, Jesus concedes that divorce is allowed for marital unfaithfulness. Apostle Paul has a lot to say about the whole subject in 1 Corinthians. I commend your reading. But let's be clear. When people make a promise before God and to one another, it is a vow that must and should be taken seriously. And when one breaks the promise, uh, it is sin. And the consequences of that brokenness are felt by more than just those who are involved in it. It's felt, of course, by our Lord Jesus, and it's felt by all the people who are broken because of that sin. But the good news is this. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is comfort. In John 8, 2-11, you will find a story of a woman who was dragged out of her house by a bunch of strange men. She is paraded down the street. She find, found herself in front of a wandering preacher. The men stop. They, they ask this man of God if this woman shouldn't be stoned to death because of her sin. You know, I've often thought about that story. I wonder why she didn't just faint from the terror of it all. Maybe it was the gentleness and the attitude of this itinerant creature that we know is Jesus. Maybe it was the fact that he did not want to embarrass her any more than she already was. And instead of looking at her, he looked down on the ground and he started to draw on the sand, the scripture says. One in the crowd asked him about killing her. And he simply said, Well, feel free on one condition, that the one who throws the first stone has never been guilty of any sin himself. Hmm. And slowly what happened is the crowd began to thin out. It became apparent that there would be no stone in that day. Finally, only the two of them were left, the street preacher and the woman. And he asked her, What happened to those crowds that wanted to kill you? And she said, they have gone away. I imagine that the woman probably was looking down now. She knew she had done wrong but that feeling of confession that Jesus would have seen in her spirit. And because of that, there was no scolding from Jesus. There was no lecture about breaking the commandment. There was just two short sentences that I think we need to hear this day that give us faith, I think, in the Lord and and give us strength to carry on because we all are without sin. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and leave your sin behind. These are important words for us to hear. There's no doubt that God does not want divorce for us. And there's no doubt that God wants us to provide every effort that we can to make our marriage work. But God understands our sinfulness and the weakness of our humanity maybe better than we ever will or can. And it is for that reason that God has allowed for us a way to live in peace with Him and each other. God always offers forgiveness. And why some, I think, in the church cannot understand this better is beyond me. If there was ever a place where a person who was broken from divorce needs to be, it's the body of Christ, the church. Yet so often the church is the first place that a social stigma is attached to the diver- divorced person. We must work against this injustice we need to remember that in God's eyes, the innocent party in a divorce is just that innocent. And such persons should be received in the full fellowship. And there's no need of confession for forgiveness. On the other hand, the guilty party has sinned. So what should be done by the one who's been sinned? That person who has sinned should confess their sin. Ask for forgiveness. And we should follow Jesus' example of offering forgiveness, not condemnation, as seen in the parable story I just read. Remember the Scripture, First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse from us all unrighteousness. It seems to me like the church, by Christ's example, must forgive the repentant sinner and restore fellowship. We must never forget that some of the greatest saints of the church were repentant sinners. It's important that we realize that there are certain circumstances that we would never condone. We would never condone two people who are in a relationship in which it was abusive, Spousal abuse is a terrible problem in this state. And it's something as, the, as church people we should speak out against and offer a haven for those who have been uh, hurt in those kind of situations. Yes, no adultery is the commandment. But the Lord has given us great grace and forgiveness in our brokenness. And we must not forget that. Now I'll say the last commandment to talk about, I think, which is the hardest one. In my opinion, it's the hardest one I have to follow. And that's the one about thou shalt not covet. I think it may be one of the hardest ones for all of us. I mean, really, how do you tell people that they must not desire things in a society that is driven by consumerism and advertising? It's pretty hard, I think, to resist the desire to covet. Why would God tell us not to want things? Does it make sense for God to tell a man living in a cardboard box under a railroad bridge not to want a decent home? Not to covet a home? Of course not. You know, friends, from the beginning of this study I have tried to point out that God's aims in giving these tender commands was the creation of a just and decent society the commandments don't do this by themselves they can't but they do provide us a good framework for us to work out the specifics to make that happen and each commandment addresses an injustice of one kind or another For example, as a little recap, since we're finishing up this, the first two commandments tell us that it's unjust to delude people into pursuing false gods, especially when there's the one and only God who has made himself known to us clearly in many ways. The third command tells us that it's unjust to treat people dishonestly by not being as good as your word. In the fourth commandment, we find that it's unjust to overwork yourselves or overwork others by failing to take off a day for rest and worship and renewal. In the fifth commandment, we find it unjust to neglect aging parents. And in the sixth commandment, we find it unjust to deny someone their life or their right to an abundant life. In the seventh commandment, we find it unjust to put a person's family at risk by seducing their spouse. And in the eighth commandment, we find it unjust to take someone's private property without permission. And in the ninth commandment, we find it unjust to wound people with false testimony or hurtful words. Justice... I believe is a trumpet that sounds clearly through every one of these ten their commandments. And this tenth commandment, against wrongful desire, must follow this same pattern of justice, I believe, for it to be understood properly and for us to apply it in our daily life. This command is very specific of what we must not do and what must not be wrongfully desired. It mentions specifically our neighbor's house, spouse, and property. It does not say we're not to want food for a starving baby, or a decent home for someone who's homeless, or a good education for our children. These are fine and noble desires, and it's okay to have those desires. But these desires are not fine and noble when we set our heart on what rightfully belongs to someone else. And since a decent house and food and proper schooling for children are all things which are rightfully everyone's, then it is unjust for us to want such a better home that others go homeless or to want another woman so bad that it causes families to break apart. These are injustices that violate the spirit of the commandments. Why do they occur? They occur because we're overly concerned with our own well-being instead of our neighbors. Because we covet too much instead of trusting the Lord who told us clearly, why do, you not, why do you worry so about things that you need? Look at the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Does not God take care of these? And you are so much more valuable. Isn't it ironic that we can sometimes see the infinite value That we cannot, isn't it ironic, that we cannot see the infinite value of a single human life beyond our own. We need to be careful that we're not the cause of injustice by our desires for wants, not needs. We must be careful that we're not the cause of injustice because we're not zealous in the pursuit of justice for all people. What can we do? What can we do? Sometimes it seems as if God's tender commands and precepts and lessons of life seem to be awfully lot to do in the face of what we see. We can do what we can. We can do what we can. I'm reminded of a story of a little boy who was tossing starfish on a beach full of starfish into the ocean. And a person came up to him and said, You're not going to make any difference at all. There's two, There must be a million starfish along these shores of this ocean. And the little boy didn't miss a beat. He said, I'll have done something for this one. And that's what we have to do. You know, we just had a group that come back from the Redbird Mission uh, that we sent them off in last Sunday at the 9 o'clock service. And some of them are home now, and I saw some of them in between services. And we're talking about the unbelievable systemic poverty that's in the coal mining regions of Appalachia. It seems overwhelming. What can we do? We can do what we can with the ones that our, God puts in front of us. So here's what I ask you today to do. First and foremost, I hope that you have got a new and different understanding of the Ten Commandments. And I hope you'll strive to follow them in these enhanced ways that I've talked about them over these last five weeks. The second thing you can do is just support this church. Support it with your attendance, your service, your gifts, your prayers, your presence. You know, the church is the largest benevolent institution in the world today. And it can still mobilize the most resources of anyone, anytime. Someone once said that if the church would just awaken from, from its slumber and just begin to march, everyone in the world would feel the earthquake. We are, we have no idea of the power that we have for good and for justice. And we need, I think, to quit bickering amongst ourselves in the churches about silly things and be focused again on letting justice roll. Um, I want to tell you a a quick story. A panel discussion that occurred between, at that time, the Secretary of the State uh, and the minister of Riverside Church in New York City After being criticized for many social inequalities and injustices, the Secretary of State at that time exclaimed in exasperation, what would you have us do? And the minister of the Riverside Church said, as a minister of the gospel of Christ, it is my duty, it is my task to proclaim let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. But it's your job to design the irrigation system. My friends, it is my job to call for the waters of justice and righteousness. But it's your job to supply the irrigation system. And you can do that. You can do that by first and foremost supporting Christ's Holy Church. This particular outpost to heaven we call Memorial United Methodist. It certainly means that you should not covet more than you need. That you should support policies at state and federal level that ensure justice in this land. It seems to me like each one of us has a calling from God to do what we can. And Jesus has promised us more than all we need if we just will take this and all these commands seriously remember one of my favorite scriptures is this strive first for the kingdom of god and righteousness and all the things will be given to you as well we strive first for the kingdom of god and god will provide our needs let us renew our commitment to stay by making all tender commands part of our everyday living, I pray that you will rethink and reemphasize and renew your belief in God's tender commands and that you will make them part of your daily living. Next week, as I said earlier, just a reminder, we will have confirmation service in which we'll confirm This is uh, the smallest class we've had in three years, but it's still a class of four young people who, by the way, uh, Robbie, who was not here last week, and they talked about you, Robbie. Is Robbie here? He had to leave. Robbie Robbie was one of the chaperones last week, and he sent me an email this week when I passed on to our chair of the SPRC where he was talking about how wonderfully behaved these young people of ours were, compared to some at Lake Junaluska at the retreat, and how much that he got out of the retreat. It was amazing. So far, every one of our adult leaders who went to the, to the retreat and been part of that retreat have come home saying the same thing, that they've been blessed beyond measure. And of course, the young people are blessed. Uh, But uh, that's uh, something that we must continue after I'm long gone from here, is to make sure that they go to that retreat and that we support them in that endeavor. Next week, confirmation. Let us stand and sing our closing hymn, hymn 593. may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit may they be yours this day and each day forever Amen